It's good to see everybody this morning. I really appreciate you being here, and I'm grateful that I'm able to be here with you this morning. I'll have more comments about that as we begin the worship service this morning. But I encourage you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is where we'll find our first passage this morning. Uh, my name is Steve Ramsey. Uh, you might have heard I'm from Florida. I'm not from Florida. I just live there. I'm from Texas. And some gentlemen on the front row understand that whole sentiment there. But anyway, it's good to be with you. When Simon asked me would I come hold a meeting uh, a couple of years ago, I had heard about the church here and uh, been looking forward to it ever since. And so this morning, as we begin our Bible class, I want to talk to you about a, a subject that is actually happening right now in the Lord's church. And we will have different kind of lessons the rest of the week, but this subject is a very, very important lesson. And those of you who are young, I want you to especially listen this morning. You, you need to get your thinking caps on. Uh, we're going to go over a lot of information. Now, I will tell you, uh, just half of this lesson, when I teach it at home, it takes six months to teach it. So you're getting six months for half of this lesson. So it's not going six months this morning, but what I'm saying to you, it's going to be pretty rapid. There's going to be a lot of information. And I want you to go along with that and to at least get the broad ideas of what's going on. And what I'm talking about is there's some error sweeping through the church. It is an old error. Uh, if you notice the title of the lesson, it was an old error rises again. And it's not again the first time. It rises again and again and again and again. And we have to continually deal with it. But you can't deal with it unless you're familiar with at least where it comes from and what the Bible says about that. So that's what we're going to try to lay out this morning. I want you to look at John chapter 8 and verse 32. Okay, this is a verse that we're very familiar with, most of us. And you young people, I want to talk about something you're going to go through here in just a minute. But I want you to always remember this verse. This is a verse that should never be forgotten. Because Jesus said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay? Freedom from sin is what's being talked about here. The freedom from sin that would allow you to be right with God, and to be able to have a real hope of going to heaven. It is only truth that does that. Truth is what will get you to heaven. So on the contrary, error is not going to do that. False doctrine will not do that. Error, spiritual error, is not going to get you to heaven. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You might throw John seventeen seventeen in there, especially in our day and time, because... We're taught that you have your truth and I have my truth and we can just contradict each other and we're both right. We both have truth. Truth doesn't work that way. Truth doesn't contradict itself. And there is such a thing as absolute truth. And that absolute truth is the Word of God. Thy Word is truth. John seventeen seventeen. The only thing that is truth in religion is what God says. 
And anything that God says, it is truth, and it will set you free, and it will lead you to heaven. Anything in religion that God did not say, God did not teach one way or another, is error. It is unrighteousness. Not what's right, it's unrighteousness, and it will keep you out of heaven. And that's why from time to time, we need to make sure that we understand if something is being taught around us, that we're familiar with it, and we know what the Bible says and whether it's true or not. It is truth that's going to get you to heaven. You need to be a truth seeker. In fact, you should demand truth. Whenever somebody teaches you, you should ask, where's that at? Show me where that is in the Bible. Because then you know it's truth. When you have somebody preach a lesson, Brother Hutto, me, anybody, you should demand truth from this pulpit. Not just hope you get it. You should demand truth because that's the only thing that's going to get you to heaven. So how do you know that it's true when you hear something? It's just by checking. By checking what God says on the matter. And you are able to check. You are able to find out. You don't have to be just floundering around wondering what's right and what's true in religion. You can find out. Okay? Now, you young people. It just so happens that the younger people are kind of going along. A lot of younger people in a lot of places with the error that's going around. Uh, that's not a new thing either. And I want to talk to you for just a second. Most of you, if you're younger here, then we would say you're being raised in the church. And there's a very common thing that happens when people are raised in the church. And that is when I'm younger, you know, mom and daddy told me such and such was right. And I believe that because mom and daddy said that. Mom and daddy said it, it's got to be true. But then you reach a point where it's not true because mom and daddy said that, okay? And you begin questioning everything that you've heard and everything that you've been taught because you get a mind of your own. And I'm going to tell you, you, that's a good thing. Questioning is a good thing. And and you need to do that. And you need to be open-minded to different ideas and questions and things like that. But let me stress to you that being open-minded does not only mean that you're open to questions. It also means you're open to answers. That God gives an answer and you're open to accepting the answer that God gives. Now let me tell you something about your parents. If they were raised in the church, they've gone through the same thing. I promise you they've gone through the same thing. There has been a, now you may not know it now, and you may think there's no way. They're just hard-headed, and they have always told me the same thing. But I promise you, there really was a day when they were a teenager. And they questioned what they had been told. And what I will say to you is that if they're sitting in pews here this morning, and they're good, strong questions, it's not because they're mindless and unquestioning, And have never doubted. It is because they went looking for answers. And they found the answers. And they accepted the answers of what truth is. And that is why they're here this morning. 
And that's why they teach you what they teach you. Okay? Now let me talk to the parents. You would be amazed at the people that are leaving the church. I promise you. Very personally, I am amazed at the people who are leaving the church. People you never thought would have gotten caught up in error. And they are. Now this morning, we're going to do a lot of talking about Calvinism. And you probably heard something about Calvinism. I hope you've heard about TULIP and the acronym and all that. And we're going to go over that quickly this morning. But if you think your children are safe, I assure you they're not. If you think your children could not go off into this, I assure you, you are, you are mistaken. If you think that your teenager that you're sending off to Florida College or Auburn or God forbid Alabama or something like that, that they're safe and that nothing could lead them off into error, let me kindly say to you with love in my heart, you are mistaken. You better know your stuff. And you better make sure your children get taught the truth before this happens. And this is going to be a small effort this morning to help you do that. Okay? So let's begin reading some passages. I want to begin by reading some passages on obedience. In Hebrews chapter 5, and I just want you to have these emblazoned in your mind. So that you will know that you have seen them with your own eyes. They are in there. And any idea that's against these passages can't be right. Just You may not be able to answer and explain it all. But you know that can't be right. Because you've seen passages that clearly say different than what these other people are telling you. Okay, Hebrews chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. Though he were a son... Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Okay, now does this include faith? Of course it does. Does it include repentance and confession and love and mercy and grace and cancer? Of course it does. But look at the verse. It tells you Jesus is going to save, finally, those who obey him. He is the author of eternal salvation. He is the one who's going to write your ticket to heaven. He is going to author that. And he's going to write that ticket for those who obey him. Okay? Look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, there in verse 21. Again, these are not new passages to you, I hope. But I just want you to have them in mind as we go through this morning. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, the word Lord means ruler. So what Jesus is saying here, it's not just people who claim that Jesus is their ruler. That are going to get to go to heaven. It is people who act like Jesus is there. So how do you act like that? By doing the will of the Father. Okay, the will of the Father. That just means what God wants you to do. You don't do what somebody else wants you to do. You, you really don't even do what you want to do. You do what God's will is. What God wants you to do. Those are the people who are going to get to go to heaven. And, and that is obedience. That's obeying God. Okay. 
Look in Romans chapter 5 and let's see the, the bad side of this, the negative side of it. In Romans chapter 5, he talks about the day of judgment and what's going to happen to who here. In Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 6, Romans 5 and verse 6, excuse me, got the wrong passage here. Romans 2. Romans chapter 2 and verse 6, he says, Who will render to every man according to his deeds? To them who by patient continuance and well-doing. Okay, patient continuance and well-doing. That just means you're doing what's right. You're obeying God. To them, glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them who are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. Here's what they get. Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. Upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Okay? This is for people who are contentious. You know, contentious people are kind of hard to get along with, aren't they? They, they? Whatever you say, they're going to say the opposite. They're going to argue with you about it, even just for nothing. They're going to do that. Just because they don't want what you're saying. Here he talks about people who are contentious. My question, who are they contending with? Well, they're contending with God, aren't they? God says something. They say, well, I don't want that. I don't like that. That's not what I would say if I was God. And I'm not going to do that. So they end up here, it says, people being people who do not obey the truth. So what do they obey? Unrighteousness. That which is not right. And I hope you notice that it doesn't go too well for them, does it? Okay, look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, there in verse 8. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8. And it talks about the final day, the day of judgment. And in verse 8 it says, Jesus in flaming fire will take vengeance on them who know not God and obey not the truth. Jesus will take vengeance on those who do not obey the truth. They don't obey the gospel. They don't know God. If they did, they would be obeying what he has to say. Okay? So now look over in 1 Peter chapter 2. Excuse me, 1 Peter, yes, 1 Peter chapter 2. What we've been stressing here is obeying God. Living your life where you're doing what's right according to God in His Word. Part of the error that's sweeping around is the idea that you can't do that. That you can't obey God. And I just want you to remember this verse as we go through this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in His steps who did no sin. We, are, we have an example That we are to follow in his steps. And we don't have to wonder what example of Jesus that is being talked about here. It tells you right away who did no sin. We are to stay away from sin. We are to get rid of sin. We don't live or walk in sin. Now do people sin? Yes, but it's not because they could not have done what's right. It's because they chose to sin. 
And we have an example from Jesus that we are to say no to that, just as he said no to that. And we are to walk in his steps. Now, the very fact that I'm told to walk in his steps tells me I can do that. I might not. I might mess it up, but it's on me if I do. It's not that I was unable to do that. And part of this that's going around teaches us that, that we are unable. You, you can't even obey. You couldn't obey God if you wanted to. Okay? And that's why, remember the verse we started with, John eight thirty two. I would just point out to you, John, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And verse 1, where he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they have got spirits or people. People who come telling you religious stuff. And we would say, don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe every spirit, but try the spirits. Put them to the test, whether it's really from God. And you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Okay? So let's take a few minutes and let's talk about Calvinism. Now, Calvinism is the big broad thing that's all around us. Probably, and this is a guess, but an educated guess, probably 90% of the churches that you see as you drive up and down the roads of this city are Calvinistic to some degree or another. It is an old doctrine that it's an old system of belief and practice from about back in the 1500s. And most of the denominations believe those things and they are mostly Calvinistic in what they believe and what they teach. Okay? Now, if I was to go to Italy to preach the gospel, what would you tell me I probably need to study up on? I probably need to study up on Catholicism a little bit, right? If I was going to China to preach the gospel... What would I need to study up on? Well, probably part of how to stay away from the Communist Party and not get in trouble. But the other, I need to familiarize myself with Buddhism and so on from different place to place, depending on what's going on around there. Okay, let me just say this. We live in the land of Calvinism. Now, that term among us a lot of times not thrown around a lot anymore. But they're very familiar with it because they know that's the source of what they believe and what their churches stand for. And I'm not being ugly. We're going to make a, a big point not to misrepresent anybody or any teaching here this morning. Uh, usually when I teach this, I've got a little booklet I hold up that, sh- that was written by two Presbyterian pastors. And they are explaining Calvinism. They're explaining their own beliefs. And it's straight out of there. So it, it's from them, not something that somebody in the Church of Christ made up. All right? But they, about 90% of the churches around us are Calvinists. If we, you go to work and you start talking with somebody... Almost everybody you talk to is going to have a Calvinist background. Your children go to school about, and you get in discussions at school about every child your, ch- your child talks to is going to go to a Calvinistic church. And so it probably makes a lot of sense that it would be good for us to know something about that, I would think. And, and you, you need to know where they're coming from if you're going to be able to teach them. And most of the time when I teach this, what I tell people is, I'm not really teaching this to convince you. It's kind of getting that way now because of the problems we're having in the church. But really, I'm teaching you so you'll be able to teach somebody else. And there's a lot involved with that that probably we don't, we don't, have, to, we don't have time this morning to go through. 
<clears throat> Calvinism teaches, you read, we read all those verses about obedience. You have to obey God. That's who Jesus is going to save. Calvinism teaches you do not have to obey God. That you can go to heaven without obeying God. Basically, that obeying God doesn't have anything to do with you going to heaven. And in fact, they teach that not only do you not have to obey God, you cannot obey God. It is impossible for you to obey God so that you would have anything to do with you going to heaven. And I'll explain that doctrine to you in just a minute. So whenever you have an idea out there that, that we cannot obey God, then, then something else comes up. It's a problem. The problem is, how, how can I get to heaven when I can't obey God? And I've got to have some kind of theory, some kind of idea to explain how I can get to heaven without obeying God. Now, the Calvinist answer to that is, once saved, always saved with the perseverance of the saints. And there's a doctrine there involved in a subheading of that doctrine that has to do, is the title, under the title of imputed righteousness. And what that doctrine teaches is that, no, I'm not doing right. I never will do right. In fact, I, I haven't even changed at all when I become a Christian. I'm still the same old sorry sinner going out every day sinning all day long. But, but God doesn't see that anymore. That now I get credit for Jesus' perfect life. And I get credit for having perfectly obeyed God and never committed a sin in my life through the doctrine of imputed righteousness. In other words, Jesus' righteousness gets transferred to me. Okay? Now that's how the Calvinists get there. How we can go to heaven without obeying God. In times past in the Lord's church, we've had some of our own brethren come up with these ideas. Uh, one of them was the doctrine of continuous cleansing. And, and, and what that was, was the idea that even as you commit a sin, you're being forgiven of it. Even as you commit a sin, the blood of Christ is washing you clean. As you're drinking half a fifth of whiskey and it's washing down through you, the blood of Christ is washing with it and washing you clean. The doctrine of continuous cleansing. Now, the big thing that's left out of that is all the Bible teaching on repentance. See, they forget the word repentance is all over the Bible. And the answer is that God has never, ever promised to forgive us of a sin that we won't repent of. Okay? Another doctrine that, that came up, and it was when I was a teenager, about the 1970s, long time ago, was the, what we call the Grace Fellowship Movement. Okay, the Grace Fellowship movement began as as an intention to get all the different kinds of churches to rise together. It was an ecumenical movement among the churches of Christ, and the idea was that that all the different kind of churches, instead of being split up and being divided as the church is, and that that is a shame. And there's, we need to try to get together, and there's got to be a basis for getting together. But their idea was this, that, that all the churches of Christ, as long as we believe in Christ and we've been baptized, then we need to be in fellowship with one another. In other words, we need to be accepting one another and, and working together. And that, that the other teachings in the New Testament 
are doctrine and gospel and doctrine are two different things. That as long as you believe in the story of Jesus and you're baptized, that grace somehow or another is going to cover all the rest of it. In other words, you can be wrong on how you worship. You can be wrong on what you teach. You can be wrong on the organization. We could have a pope and that would be all right. And now they don't suggest that. They're just saying that grace is going to cover all those areas so that God, even though you worship wrong, say you use instrumental music or, or a lot of other things that we could talk about, that even though you would be wrong in that, that grace is going to cover it so God accepts you. So if God accepts you, then I should accept you too. We should be in fellowship with another because we're all covered with grace. Now, Where that led to was an even broader acceptance because they dropped the requirement of baptism. You didn't even have to be baptized anymore as long as you believed in the story of Jesus. Then we had to accept you and be accepting of one another. And so you would have to accept people in denominations full of error that haven't even obeyed the plan of salvation. They haven't even done what the Bible says to do in order to be Christians. Okay? That was a big problem when I was a teenager. In the church where I grew up, it was a big problem. And there were some people who left the church and are not doing right because they were taught those kinds of things. What's going on now is very similar to that. In fact, it's, it's just a renovation of the Grace Fellowship teaching. It is, it is an idea that all of us old hardheads that are my age, we, we don't understand grace. That we either never knew grace or we've forgotten about grace and we don't talk about grace and we don't understand grace. And there's this new enlightenment. And I'm sorry, not trying to get on the young people because there's wonderful young people. But just all us old people, we don't get grace. We just don't get it. We don't understand what the Bible teaches. And this whole system of what teaching is going around, around now begins with the same idea Calvinism does. When it begins to tell us how we get to heaven. It begins with the idea that we cannot obey God. So we've got to explain how we can get to heaven without obeying God. And I've had people tell me, listen, I've had elders of the church tell me that we cannot obey God. It's impossible. So what I do has nothing to do with going to heaven. An elder in the Lord's church and his wife. Okay. So this is a very real thing. And, and they would say, nobody does right. There's no church that's right. So we're all in the same boat, so we just need to accept each other. And there's good Christians in all the different kinds of churches out there. Now, we understand that we have taught the uniqueness of the Lord's church. The Lord's church is the one built on His Word, not men's doctrines, not men's ideas, not what people dream up. As far as religion. And so that's being tossed out the window. And that none of us do right. But grace is going to cover us. Now one of the things that's a problem with this. Is that grace is kind of mystical. To, to In these explanations. Well how is grace going to do that? Well I don't know it just does. Well wait a minute. Why, if I'm sinning all day long every day, is grace going to cover me? But my neighbor over here, he's sinning all day long and grace is not going to cover him. Well, I don't know. I, don't I, I just don't know. But grace is going to cover you. 
And grace becomes this mystical, mysterious, unexplainable thing that just kind of works for us if we believe in Christ. Okay, we'll talk about that in just a second. And so it works for me. It works for good, sincere people and denominations, according to them, as long as they believe. And they believe in the gospel. Now, this is a big point, parents, for you to understand, young people. When they talk about the gospel, they don't mean the same thing we do. They will tell you that the gospel is only the story of Jesus. This is the very same thing that was said in the Grace Fellowship times back in the 1970s. It was called the gospel doctrine idea. That there was the gospel and then there was all the doctrine. Okay, The word doctrine just means teaching. It's not a hard, th- hard thing to get either. So they said all the teachings about the church and worship and all those, that was doctrine. And, and you could be wrong on that and be all right as long as you believe the story of Jesus. So they separated the story of Jesus from the teachings of Jesus. Now the vocabulary has changed a little bit. The last time I heard this, it was the gospel and all the important truths. But it was, I quote, stated, those important truths, they are not the gospel. Those are two different things. Okay. So, to, and the passage they talked about is 1 Corinthians 15. So turn over there real quick with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning with verse 1. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And I say to you, that's the gospel. That story right there, that's the gospel. And that's all the gospel. Everything else you can be wrong on as long as you're right in believing that. Consequently, they're saying that people can be involved in error and be okay. You can follow false teaching and that's okay. You can disobey God and that's okay. Now, would they, I mean, would they say you should disobey God? No, they're not saying that. They're just saying you're okay even if you do. And the Bible teaches we're not okay even if we do. The Bible, all those passages we've read, teach us we have to obey God. We've got to do what's right, not what is unrighteousness. And as in the case with a lot of these passages that are brought up, and not just in Calvinism, a lot of times, the very passage that people bring up to make a point shows the point is wrong. And this one does too. Look in verse 3. And just think with me just a second. He says, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. First of all. When he's going to preach the gospel, he first of all told him the story of Jesus. Now just think, what does that mean? If it's first of all, what does that tell you? Well, there's a second of all and a third of all and a fourth of all. In other words, there's more to it than that. This is just the foundation. Yes, the story of Jesus is the foundation. Him dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. That is the foundation of Christianity, but that's not it. That's just the beginning of it. And Paul taught them a lot of other things that they had to believe and to do. Okay. Another thing that comes along, and I'm going to say something to the young people again, is, is there's this attitude 
of an enlightenment on grace. In other words, they have discovered something about grace that old people like us never understood and will never get. That there's this enlightenment about how grace works that we have just completely missed and they have found somebody else who gets it and who's taught it to them. There's a little bit of arrogance there, a little bit of wrong attitude. But what I would say to you about that is this is not new enlightenment. This is not a new doctrine. This is just old Calvinism. That's all it is. And it is something that gospel preachers have fought against for hundreds of years. And there are answers to those teachings straight out of the Bible that we need to listen to. Okay? Let's quickly go over Calvinism. And again, I'm going to give you six months and about two minutes here. Okay? Calvinism is a doctrine, you may have heard the acronym TULIP. The word TULIP, each letter, it's organized into that acronym and each letter stands for a doctrine. But it doesn't begin with TULIP. This is one of the things that you really need to get. Calvinism begins with the idea of predestination the way they teach it. And the idea that they have is that it has to do, they'll talk about the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. The word sovereign means supreme power, and God is the supreme power. What they take from that is not right, however. What they say is that because God is the supreme power, then nobody can disobey God. No, in other words, you're, not only should you not, you cannot disobey God. That everything that happens, happens because God says, that's what I want to happen. Even bad things, even tragedies, even my sins happen. I sin because God decided before he ever made the world that I was going to commit those sins. And if I don't commit those predetermined sins, then somehow or another, God is not the supreme power anymore. Okay, now the answer to that is very simple. You have a king and you have his subjects. The king is the supreme power of the land. But his subjects can disobey him, right? They can disobey him. They can be criminals. They can do a lot of different things. But that doesn't mean that he's no longer the supreme power. He's still the supreme power even when his subjects disobey him. We can disobey God and him still be sovereign. Him still be the supreme power. Predestination is something you hear about a lot. And their idea of predestination is everything in your life. Who you were going to marry, the day you were going to be born, who your parents were going to be, what your name, what they were going to name you, the day that you're going to die, all the stuff that's going to happen in between, how many children you're going to have, what day you're going to have those children, what you're going to name your children. Everything they say was predestinated by God. Everything in your life. Even one person gave an illustration one time that when you go out on a cold winter morning and you start up your car and it blows little carbon bits out the tailpipe, God, before we ever made more, predetermined where every little carbon bit was going to land on the ground. Okay? So nothing happens that God didn't decide beforehand you were going to do. Look with me at some verses. Turn back over the book of Jeremiah. In other words, what they're saying is that nothing happens that didn't already pass through the mind of God. And he predetermined it. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31. Talking about the error of the Israelites. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. 
So he says these people are doing something that I didn't command them to do that. In fact, it never came into my heart that I wanted them to do this. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 19. Jeremiah chapter 19 and verse 5. It says, they have built also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. Okay, if you want to write a verse down, you can also put chapter 32 and verse 35. But notice in this verse here, he says, I didn't command it. I didn't speak it. I didn't tell them. I never even thought about them doing this. So the idea that everything man does, God has predestined is wrong. Here he says, I I never even dreamed that they would do these things, much less decided that they would do that before ever created the world. Now, what this goes to is the point that it's the question of free will. Can I do what I decide to do? Do I decide what I'm going to do? And the answer is yes. And along with that, that's why I'm accountable for it. That's why I answer to God on the day of judgment for what I do. Because I decide what I'm going to do. Okay? We're going to zip through Tulip here. If you're going to take notes, I'll just give you the verses. The T in Tulip stands for total hereditary depravity. We inherit the sin of Adam. Your answer to that is in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20. Okay? Ezekiel 18 verse 20 tells you we don't inherit sin. We don't inherit righteousness. We don't inherit any of that from anybody else. We live with our own, our own sins and our own righteousness. The doctrine of total hereditary depravity is that we inherit the sin of Adam. That the sin of Adam is passed down. And so it depraves us, destroys us spiritually. And when we're born, we are born with that sin and we are totally depraved. And the first thing we usually think about is, well, you're saying cute little babies. If they die, they'll go to hell. What, what's that? And, and the Calvinist is going to look at you like, what are you talking about? That's not the point. Okay. The point of total hereditary depravity with a Calvinist is a sub-doctrine to that called the doctrine of total inability. And they'll explain it if you read some of their books. Total inability means you're totally unable to do something. And what they say is that because you're born totally depraved, you are totally unable to obey God. The idea that we cannot obey God and do what's right comes from Calvinism. It is an old doctrine and it's under the heading of total hereditary depravity. Now, most of us, if you were to talk to a brother in Christ that says we can't obey God, well, you believe in total hereditary depravity. Well, they they get pretty offended about that. They, They don't like that. But that is the source of it. That's where that idea came from. That you couldn't obey God if you wanted to. And again, that's a quote from Calvinist preachers. All right? So the next letter in TULIP is, is the U. And that stands for unconditional election. That means that before God ever created the world, he elected who was going to get to go to heaven. Based on nothing. It's just, just by the spin of the wheel. Some people get chosen to go to heaven and most people don't. And if you're lucky enough that it landed on you, then you get to go to heaven. You're one of the elect. And it is, listen, it is absolutely based on nothing. Well, I believe in Christ. It doesn't matter. 
That's a condition. And according to them, your election is unconditional. Now, the result of that is really, see, they, they accuse us sometimes of not knowing whether we're going to heaven. You know who really doesn't know if they're going to heaven? It's the Calvinists. Because anything they would point to, to show as evidence they're one of the elect, is a condition. And conditions don't have anything to do with it according to their doctrine. They are the ones who really don't know if they are one of the elect. And I will tell you, the Bible answer is salvation is conditional. You just take all those verses we started with about obedience, those are conditions. The condition is obedience. The L in TULIP is, it stands for something that, that we don't hear much about. And that's the doctrine of limited atonement. Okay? Limited atonement. And literally, the doctrine teaches that Jesus didn't die for everybody. Jesus did not die for everybody. He only died for the elect, for the chosen ones. And the reasoning goes like this. If Jesus died for people, and that's all it takes for them to go to heaven, then everybody's going to heaven. So we know everybody's not going to heaven, so he could not have died for everybody. He only died for the elect. Hebrews 2.9 says he died for, he tasted death for every man. Okay, the iron tulip is irresistible grace. If you're one of the elect, you're going to heaven. Whether you want to go to heaven or not, you're going to heaven. If God has to drag you kicking and screaming through the pearly gates, you're going to heaven. So what happens according to them is that at some point in your time in your life, if you are one of the elect, God is going to do a miracle in your heart and make you believe. He's going to make you believe. You have to believe because you're one of the ones going to heaven. You've got to go to heaven. We have to have you believe. And so you, you hear in times past, people talk about the direct operation of the Holy Spirit. That's that teaching. That God directly works on a person's heart, does a miracle, and makes them believe. And the idea is to create faith in their heart. In other words, according to the Calvinists, faith comes from a miracle that God makes you believe. Romans ten seventeen says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God that we decide whether we believe based on the information that we read in the Bible. In Acts seven fifty one, Stephen told those people, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. We are able to resist God. We are able to say no to God and refuse and reject him. And irresistible grace is, is not a true doctrine. Okay. The P in TULIP stands for perseverance of the saints. That's the idea of once saved, always saved. And it is uh, the idea that, I mean, and the reasoning is logical. Actually, if you start with where they start, all this is logical. It all makes sense if you begin at the same wrong place where they begin. Once saved, always saved goes like this. If God's already done all the other stuff, that means I'm one of the elect. And I didn't do anything to be saved. Works didn't have anything to do with my salvation. I surely can't do anything to be lost, right? I mean, I'm one of the elect. I have to go to heaven. So nothing I can do would keep me out of heaven. And so the doctrine of once saved, always saved. And if you go to the Bible, you look at all the verses about obedience, about falling from grace, and you find out that that these things are not according to Scripture. Okay? Quickly, let me finish this. The Calvinist error is very easy to see. The Bible teaches there are two parts to salvation. There's God's part, 
and there's man's part. God's part is grace. And without God's grace, it doesn't matter what we do. We're not going to heaven. We are saved by grace even when I obey God. The second part is man's part, and that's works. Now, the Calvinists will teach that, that works don't have anything to do with you being saved. But listen, obedience, every time I obey, that's a work. That's just something I'm doing. When I'm baptized, that's a work. When I believe, Jesus taught in John 6 that faith is a work. It's something that I do. But the Calvinist doesn't see that. That's why if you get in discussion with your friends, they're only going to talk about God's part. They will talk about God's grace and God's love and God's mercy and all those things. And you know what your answer needs to be? Listen, do not let your answers be yes, but. Because that sounds like you're disagreeing with. We don't disagree on that. We agree with God's grace and love and mercy and kindness. And if we didn't have that, we wouldn't go to heaven. What you say is, that's exactly right. Now, let me show you what else God says. What else God says is man's part. And so when you're talking to a Calvinist and you're talking, and some of our own brethren now are saying works don't have anything to do with salvation. You need to be ready for it. You need to teach your children about Calvinism, the errors of Calvinism. I mean, it's just like a school study. This is not easy information. You're going to have to work to do this. But you are working for your child's soul when you do that. And I hope you understand just how important that is. Okay, thank you. We appreciate your interest and your time.